0: The Monday Morning Pastor podcast brought to you in partnership with Kairos Partnerships and Missio Alliance. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, JR. It's great to be back on another episode. We always like to spend the first few minutes just catching up and talking, but you and I love to read. Reading's important to us. I know many people listening uh, are also readers, and so we wanted to just use these first few minutes before we jumped into our interview. To just spend a few minutes talking about some books we would recommend, and uh, you came up with these three categories: one, a leadership book; one book about the soul or soul care; and then one just fun book. And then also our favorite, a recommendation, a headline from the Babylon Bee. <laughs> yeah, Babylon Bee. So we're gonna we're gonna recommend three books and then share our top one or two favorite headlines. I'm already, I'm already laughing thinking about this. You know, it's good when you're going into it and you already have a case of the giggles. <laughs> so yeah, kick us off. Uh, why don't we do, we'll do leadership, yeah, leadership. you and I, leadership. and then we'll do mm-hmm. soul. And then Yeah, yeah. so uh, what, what would be a book you'd recommend in the leadership s- category?
1: I would say for me, uh, it is uh, Mark Sayers' book, Reappearing Church. Um, and a lot of it is talking about re- renewal and revival, but I've just really appreciated the way Uh, He was able to really talk about some things that I feel like maybe just for me, but I had some kind of like revival resistance and baggage just growing up around, uh, kind of cutting my teeth with some of those things early on in ministry. Um, But yeah, I just really appreciated just his posture and the way that he really helped me think through um, what it looks like to contend for revival. So really enjoyed it. And I thought the leadership principles were helpful even outside of just church stuff, but even just people in general, like, man, if, if we want to see change happening, here's how this stuff goes. And it was great. Yeah. yeah. How about you? And
0: he's from Australia. Right. right? <laughs> that was pretty good. Thanks man. Uh, so he's from Australia. So he has an interesting perspective, right? That really helps does. the North American church. Yes, really does. Yeah. And I think too, and a lot of that was, was spawned
1: for me from uh, the, this cultural moment podcast, mm-hmm. which just really has been one of those podcasts that I think has helped me become a much more informed leader in the culture in which we live. And, and so, he's He's the co-host of He's that. the co-host that, yeah, with, with, I think, John Mark Comer is the yeah. other guy that he does okay. it with. So yeah, yeah, really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. The leadership book that I recommend, it's been out a few years, but it's really good called Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. Uh, Liz Wiseman is the author. I've heard her interviewed on multiple podcasts and um, radio interviews before. Uh, it really helped me, even though the concept is simple, she just unpacked that in a really helpful way, that the best leaders aren't just making themselves better. They make everyone better around them. And it reminded me of a podcast or a, um, a documentary that I saw over Christmas break about Michael Jordan. I continue to think he was the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, and, but there were in the, this particular documentary, and I don't even remember which one it, it was. They talked about how the first part of Jordan's career, he was really great and he was getting better, but they could never get Far in the playoffs. They kept hitting a brick wall and losing in the first rounds of the playoffs. And it was a legendary coach of the Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson, that pulled him aside and said, Hey, you're getting better and you're one of the greatest. You're one of the best, but you need to learn to pass and help other people become great too. And something flipped in Jordan's mind. say, now my job isn't just for me to be great. It's I've got to think as a leader, how do I make my teammates great around me? And it was from them they went on to win the first championship and then multiple championships and six championships later. It was that change from I need to be a great leader to how do I be the leader that makes everyone great around me? That's the whole concept of Liz's book of don't be a leader, be a leader multiplier. A lot of people can be leaders, but be the kind of leader that multiplies a whole bunch of other leaders around you because you're there. That's why I love the book. So Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Great book.
1: Yeah. So next category, like soul keeping or the idea of just under the surface stuff. Yeah. What do you
0: got, JR? Yeah. So Jean Vanier, looks like Jean Vanier, <laughs> but it's a, a French gentleman. He passed away um, real recently, like within the, I think the past year, he uh, ran something called the Lark Communities Um, Which are mentally disabled uh, uh, folks for mentally sorry, homes for mentally disabled folks, um, LARC communities. And it's actually where Henry Nouwen served in uh, Toronto. Um, And Jean Vanier wrote a book called Community and Growth. And it's been around a long time, but it's a fantastic book. It's and he talks about how there's no ideal community. And just the way he was trying to build community with those on the fringes who society rejects and turns away. So it's, it's a bit of a classic. It's been around quite some time, um, a few decades actually, if, if, uh, if I think about it, but I, it's one of those, I just need to pick up and reread every couple of years because it's so good. Just again, community and growth by Jean Vanier. So how about you in the area of the soul?
1: Yeah, um well, I think for me it's I just finished recently reading the book again which I read every year, um In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen, and I think it's just the continued reminder of how so much of my leadership continues to fall back in those three categories of temptation and the mm-hmm. formation pieces around uh, what it looks like to, you know, for prayer and for silence and for some of these pieces. So yeah, I've just I feel like every time I read anything that Nowen has written, it's just this continued conversation. And he feels like an old friend, which I've never met, never really knew. But I think he really gets the heart of where pastors are. And I think he really gets a lot of the temptation of relevance and some of the things that we face today. So that was my, that was my soul book.
0: Yeah, that's great. How about a sort of fun book or no category, just a book you want to recommend? Yeah. And
1: I don't mean this to be (laughs) super spiritual either, but um, I'm reading through a New Testament's reader's Bible at the moment. So the one without the chapters and verses. And uh, I've just been really um, struck with how how the stories actually flow. It doesn't with those chapters and verses, it just does not flow, but uh, really just struck with uh, I'm in Luke right now. So just reading through the gospel of Luke and seeing how these stories really interact with one another. And I feel like I'm reading the whole story
0: and it's just been great. So it's, uh, it's really cool to be personally impacted when we're, uh, highlighting Or we're interviewing someone like Glenn Paw, where we learn this from. Correct. Just like we've created life giving lists based on Steve Cuss <laughs> and the prayers I pray every morning from Josh Meyer in season one, right? So it's really cool personally to be impacted by this. So that's really cool. You're not overly spiritual for doing that. That's no, great. I, I know. That's I great. just, I don't, no, you know, awesome.
1: it's like, it, I feel like it'd be like if I asked you what books you read, you're like, yeah, there's this like book that I wrote that I'm reading again. You know, it's like,
0: <laughs> no, man, yeah. being in the scriptures, that's yeah, great. That's great. Cool. No, you're not overly spiritual now that I just tell you my fun book, I'm going to feel very unspiritual. (laughs) Well, maybe there was a... Never. (laughs) No, my book and this is... I've got to preface this. Well, I'll give the title and then I'll explain (laughs) it. So it's called Open, an Autobiography by Andre Agassi. Yes, the tennis player. Now, if your first response is, I don't even like tennis. Let me tell you how I describe this book to people. I start by saying this, I hate tennis. (laughs) And this is the best sports biography... (laughs) Autobiography I have ever read In my entire life And what's funny is when people post on Facebook Hey I'm reading this book open By Andre Agassi It's amazing how many people are like Oh my gosh that's the best sports biography ever I had a friend a few years ago He had it on his bed I was visiting him I said what what is this about And and I said do you like it He said dude it's the best ever You're going to love it And I said I don't even like tennis He goes I hate tennis too But this is awesome (laughs) And he ordered it for me It was waiting for me when I got home And I could not put it down. I gave it to my wife. She could not put it down. She's not really a sports fan. Uh, I have borrowed, I have lent this book out. I've let others borrow this book and they say the same thing that it is so well written. It is so great. Some of the I mean, I cannot put it down. I hardly reread books unless they're great ones, especially a category like this where it's just fun. I wouldn't necessarily reread it. I've reread this multiple times. Open an autobiography by Andre Agassi unbelievable, unbelievable, highly recommend it. So Uh, speaking of fun, fun. let's talk about our Babylon B This is the best part of the day. (laughs) Oh man.
1: All right. You want to start? All right. Let me start. Let me start. So on a little preface, um, (laughs) so I am a pastor who owns a truck and so this will make sense. This is why it's deeply funny to me. But okay. local man joins church just to get help with upcoming move. It's like, I think about that. It's like, dude, that is like every freaking weekend, possibly. There's a poor guy at our church named Dave. And I swear every time someone moves, poor Dave is there like packing and unpacking trucks. It's amazing. So it's true. And that's what makes it so funny. That's right. How that's about right. you?
0: Oh, I. I Seven. I Seven. <laughs> Christian man denies. <laughs> I can't even get through it. Christian man denies being a fan of Taylor Swift three times.
1: <laughs> dude, oh. are, are you a fan of Taylor Swift?
0: I honestly, I'm, I'm supposed to be a fan because she's from the next county over right, from us. Right. I think I've heard like two songs of hers, oh, and man. I'm not. I'm not just like right. Okay. I really. I'm so uncool when it comes to the young people oh, these days. Dude. I. I. I'm sorry. It's embarrassing. So. <laughs> I got one more. You got one more? Go ahead. You go. All right. All right. Report, you know, colon, report, Christians who regularly share photos of Bible and coffee are significantly godlier. And... If so, Doug, that means the the book that you just recommended for fun, right? If on Instagram you yeah. post it up, you are going to immediately become godlier. Yes, it's so, so true.
1: Oh my gosh! You got one more for us? All right, I got, I got, I got one more, or two, or right. ten. Oh gosh, <laughs> there's, there's just, one. There's so many good ones. All right, so this one here, Um, and this is this is for all all of our worship leader friends. Skipping CD player fills in for sick worship leader. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. It's like, because I, I remember having those days as a youth pastor where it's like, well, I can't really sing. So maybe we'll just put this CD on and it,
0: <laughs> and it would always skip every freaking time. Oh, that's great. Do you it's, have any more? I, I, if I should stop because I might list 10 more, so I'll oh, stop there, man. but it's, it's good to just laugh for a while. So, yes. um, even though we are sort of bantering back and forth here, give it, um, let's, let's give them again. And just so we've got them. So give us all three of yours yep. and I'll give all three. Yeah. Mine. Reappearing church. Um,
1: and then in the name of Jesus and the new Testament readers Bible, I'm reading
0: the version called bibliotheca. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, multipliers by Liz Wiseman, uh, was leadership book, the soul book, Jean Vanier's book, community and growth, and then also open an autobiography by Andre Agassi. Um, those are, those are great books. Don't try to read them all, but if any of those Kind to of spark your interest and you say, Oh, I, I really want to lean into that. Or I need a, a book for vacation or just for fun to not take myself so seriously. We recommend those to you. We'd also love to hear your recommendations. Seriously, too. send them in. Yeah. Let us know in the area of leadership, soul or fun or all the above. Uh, we would love to hear from you because uh, we're always looking for good books to read as well that can encourage and equip and also just entertain and inspire and uh, enlighten. So we, we welcome that and we look forward to hearing from you. Danielle Strickland describes herself as a spiritual leader, justice advocate, communicator, and peacemaker. Her aggressive compassion has served people firsthand in countries all over the world, from establishing justice departments and church plants, to launching global anti-trafficking initiatives, to creating new initiatives to mobilize people towards transformational living. Danielle trains, advocates, and inspires people to live differently through various organizations and initiatives. Also to her name is Salvation Army officer, which she has been in that role for more than 20 years, serving in Canada, Bermuda, Australia, and she even served as social justice secretary for the Salvation Army in the western region of the U.S. She's the author of a few books, and her newest book just released this month titled Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. She's a sought-after speaker, and I can personally vouch that she is a fantastic communicator uh, at events all over North America. She, is host, uh, she hosts a popular podcast called The Danielle Strickland Podcast. She's on the teaching team of The Meeting House, the largest church in Canada. She and her husband, Stephen, live in Toronto, uh, along with their three sons. She is an Enneagram 7, which you'll find in this interview, and she has affectionately been called the ambassador of fun. Enjoy this conversation with Danielle Strickland. Well, Danielle, thank you for the opportunity to join us here this morning on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast.
2: Yeah, it's such a joy to be with you guys.
0: So uh, Doug and I have uh, tattoos. I love asking people about their tattoos and why they have it, why they what, it, what they mean. We know you've got some ink. So tell us about your ink and why you have it.
2: Oh my, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my body is a temple of God and I, I just love temples that are well cared for and painted and beautiful <laughs> and, you know, with art on the walls. So I just felt like the Lord was telling me, like, Danielle, I want to build a temple with some beauty. So uh, anyway, it all started with really some music on my wrist, which is the f- a song called O Balance Salvation. And it mm. was around the song of God's love coming to redeem absolutely everything in the, w- in the world. And it was uh, William Booth wrote the song. And I mm. got that first part of the tattoo done on stage at a youth conference as an illustration <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. of how I didn't just want to sing a song i wanted to live a song and that to live a love song requires commitment and pain and it's forever and uh and anyway so i just sat there while this tattoo artist was like wow
0: Whoa. that's unbelievable yeah it was like an
2: illustration <laughs> none of us forgot i mean it's like uh it's the height of my stunt preaching is what I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, as... Uh, it a, went downhill many, from there. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about Enneagram and you it's very obvious that you're an Enneagram 7. Well, it sounds like you're not an Enneagram 7. You're a flaming Enneagram 7 <laughs> when you do something like that, which is great. It's great. And you've been described as an ambassador of fun. And uh, I recently heard you and Bob Goff, uh, you guys were just two peas in a pod on that <laughs> podcast interview. But uh, so you, you, you've been involved, you know, you describe yourself, you know, an activist, you've been involved in social justice issues, some of the most painful, unjust areas of the world, and yet you're an Enneagram 7. And so I'm very curious, these activities that most people would describe as not fun at all, human trafficking, social justice issues. But being an Enneagram Seven, where Sevens often escape heart issues and run to the fun and away from the pain, you have decided to run to the pain. Why is that?
2: Oh, jeez, I didn't know it was gonna be therapy. Um- <laughs> 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 I don't know. Uh, you know, it's where the road went. You know, it's uh-huh. where the road went. And to my great discovery uh, and great joy, actually, I discovered that the people that I thought were the most lost were actually the most found. Uh, Uh, The people that I thought were the poorest were actually the wealthiest. Uh, The people that I thought even were the most like, I had the most to teach, had the most to teach me. So mm -hmm. it's this beautiful upside down kingdom. And I know we, we, we read it, you know, and we think about it a little bit theologically, but to actually experience it, you know, to sit with a woman who, you know, literally as a kid was tortured and sexually exploited in a pedophile ring and then to have her talk to me about being locked in a closet for two days because she had uh, bruising and so she couldn't go to school. And, and me saying to her at the end of the story, like, how are you even alive? And she said to me, I was in that closet that day and I just kept praying, you know, that God would help me. God would help me. God would help me. And she said right in the middle of that closet, I felt like I, I said to the Lord, where are you? And I felt God say to me, I'm right here. Mm. And she said, out of all the things I've ever been through in my life, I realized from that day on that God would never leave me, no matter where I was. And so like, you're just like, what? Like, I'm raging at the injustice of it. Like, and how many other kids are trapped in closets and we've got to get to them? You know, like there's that going on. Cause I'm right on the line of a seven, eight actually. Mm. So I'm like, you know, open all the closets. Like, let's get it done. <laughs> Organize a, I don't know, closet sniffing dog campaign, whatever we gotta do. <laughs> But at the same time, this like theological understanding, this like felt reality that God is in the midst of the most painful, horrible, broken, crazy, sinful, hellish conditions. Mm. Where is God? He's right there, mm. right there. And that that thought alone can actually help everybody get through, uh, get through the day. You know, like get mm. through the moment, get through the next moment, get through the next moment, and to keep on uh, living. I mean, it's just, anyway, that, that story after that, I I can't even, I don't have the time to tell you the things I've learned, the things I've experienced about who God is, who he's with, how you access presence and power. And I just, it's been just such a delight. Mm -hmm.
1: Wow. Um, So you mentioned the road sort of taking you places that, you know, I just followed the road. What are some of the other places where that road has taken you that have been surprises for you?
2: Oh, my biggest surprise is like a uh, mega church. I call it the mega church repentance tour I've been on the last couple of years uh, because I always was like a inner city, like margins, uh, church planter. So just like, and really like low church, like in the living room or wherever cell-based small groups, like let's actually do discipleship and presence with one another and eat together, you know, all those things I love. And uh, and then God just kept inviting me. I felt like an invitation from people, but also an inclination of the Lord, like a little push uh, of the Lord to speak uh, to churches that I would have maybe once in my life thought, ah, I don't think that's really even a church. Like, I don't, what is? what are those people doing? Like, it's spectator Christianity. It's like such a waste of resource, like send money to the poor, like shut the doors, you know. <laughs> And uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm at these churches, and I'm discovering just how wrong I was about mm-hmm. everything, how wrong I am that God is uh, stuck in any form of box whatsoever that we put on him, wrong about who the poor are, uh, wrong about like what it means to have people genuinely want to join Jesus in this journey of redeeming everything in the world, including massive buildings and programs and uh, people with great wealth and opportunity and privilege and power and how he invites them too. I mean, he met with Nicodemus at night uh, to talk with him about the way into the kingdom of God. So I just started really losing my bias against the wealthy and, uh, and discovered like a lot of different strategies. I feel there's a real awakening in churches to get to it, to mm-hmm. get to the kingdom, to live a different way. I think like in all of our lives, when you get to whatever your measure of success is and you realize, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. Like, I thought this would be the answer. This would fulfill me. And then you're like, Oh, it's not, it doesn't, there must be something more. I think a lot of like really successful churches even are like there. Mm -hmm. Like we thought once we built it, we would be, this would be it. We hit it, you know? And then they're like, but what's it for? Mm -hmm. And so we've just, I've been on this like kind of repentance tour where I've been asking God to forgive me for my judgments and my fears and, Uh, my cynicism about the church. And he really has been helping me renewing hope and seeing opportunity and realizing what the church is for, which is part of the redemption project, you know, like Mm -hmm. let's use everything.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's great. So, um, you've got a new book out better together. Tell us a little bit about not just what is the book about, but, um, having written several books myself, like it's like, from what I understand, like giving birth, if I can use that as a male uh, who has not experienced that, but it just takes, (laughs) it takes a lot of effort. And you say, this is great. And then this is terrible. It just takes something out of you. Why was the idea of better together, men and women working together? Why was that important enough for you to give so much of of, of your blood, sweat, and tears to put that idea down into pages in a book?
2: Yeah, a couple things. So the book uh, origin story is uh, Bill Hybels is rocked with scandals. The Global Leadership Summit is on in just a matter of weeks. Uh, They're railing against all kinds of hypercriticism. And I've been part of the Global Leadership Summit before on the faculty and spoken there. And I actually had just been in Germany with the crew doing a thing in Germany with them and had a, have a real heart for what they're trying to do in terms of help everybody get better. I mean, it's just such a brilliant strategy. And uh, so just was friends. I mean, friends with Hybels, friends with Willow Creek, friends with the Global Leadership Summit. And so I was like, ah, like when that all happened like everybody else, but also close enough to kind of reach out. And uh, when I was praying for them, I really felt like the Lord said to me, you should offer to help. Because mm-hmm. what I, I had this real sense that this was not gonna be bad for men, it was gonna be bad for women.
3: Mm, mm. Which I
2: think is ironic in and of itself and welcome to like the pain of a woman's experience. But like a man Mm. behaving badly towards women in the church means women get more and more excluded. Mm. And so I really felt like there was this kind of like urgency about it, like a real felt need of a friend. So I was literally in the middle of writing an email to the Global Leadership Summit friends of mine saying, is there any way I can help you guys? Because I, I really felt God said to me, this is a time, like it's a really important time to speak something hopeful and uh, a way forward. Otherwise, we're just going to be stuck, you know, in fear and paralysis and just like inaction. And uh, this could be bad for women. And, uh, and then as a result, bad for men and bad for churches and bad for the gospel. I mean, just, so I was in the middle of writing this email when they called me, they just had gotten out of a prayer meeting, the team. And they said, we felt like the Lord, um, asked us to ask you if you would come and speak.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: I said to them, no way. I'm literally writing you an email. Cause I felt like God asked me to offer And I was feeling sheepish about offering, not, I wasn't offering to speak. I was thinking maybe like, do I hashtag something? Like, do I, what do I do? I'm going to pray for sure. And, um, and anyway, they asked if I would speak, but not only speak, but speak on this topic, men and women working together in the middle of this like tense, terrible, horrible, tragic news where everyone's just like at the height of paralysis. Mm. And then the questions, what do we do now? And as I dug into that speech, I had 27 minutes to make that talk. Uh, A lot of the book is like all of the stuff behind the talk. Like this is, and the more I researched it, of course, the more there was to say, the more important the topic became, you know, it's so multi-layered. So Mm. I just basically from that talk, I was like, you know, there's all this, there's so much more. Can we have a bigger conversation? about what this might mean going forward. I think it is I think it's a really important thing to pay attention to right now. It might be one of the ways we make sense of the gospel to a culture that's desperate to know mm. what the good news is in broken relationships.
1: Could could you speak a little bit more to that, just that last statement that you just made?
2: Yeah, I think you know, when Paul calls the gospel the gospel of reconciliation, like the gospel's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it is, he says. It's not just a description of what the gospel does. It's what the good news is. We are reconciled, like with God, with ourselves, with one another. And we're living in an age where conflict and separation and fear and suspicion and brokenness in relationships are at an all-time high. Politically, right, we see this raging algorithms that feed us only what we want to hear. We refuse to see each other. We separate ourselves further and further. Uh, I think the Me Too movement was just like 19 million hashtags in a couple months, just the pain of women and their, their felt experience, not like creating something new. This is just mm. like the overflow, the tipping point of what women have experienced their whole lives. And just what even to do with that? Well, what we do is what we know, which is just like, get away from each other. Like, mm. let's not talk about it. Let's like Let's move on as fast as we possibly can. You know, like just whatever we do. And I think the world, if ever there was a cry, that's a cry. That's a mm. cry from 19 million women saying, hey, we need something better. We need something better. Like we're tired of living this way. And the church, the, literally Jesus is the best news ever because he came to show us how to be reconciled in relationships with God, with our, even with our own selves. And the ministry of reconciliation, I believe, is what the gospel looks like in this age in which we live. So if we're thinking like, is the gospel relevant? How are we going to make, like, why would people want to follow Jesus? Like, how does this make any sense? This is why people need to follow Jesus. Because Mm -hmm. I tried to write this book more generally for leaders uh, and not just for Christians. Like I tried to be Mm -hmm. like, hey, we got to talk about this on a wide level, but I literally could not find any way to reconcile men and women together without Jesus. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't figure it out. Like,
0: That's a good problem.
2: <laughs> that's right. And then I thought, well, of course I can't, because how are you yeah. going? This is like one of the deepest wounds in the, in the felt world, right? Like this was the first thing to break at, uh, in Genesis, the relationship with God, and then literally the relationship between men and women. And so this is one of the deepest, I think, breaks uh, in, the, in the human design project that needs to be healed. And um, so how are we going to do that without good news, without Jesus at the center of that? I have no idea. I couldn't figure it out. So I just put Jesus at the center of the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, certainly you're a well-known speaker, well-known leader, Um, but I'm curious, what are the temptations that lurk in the bushes for you when much of the ways in which people know you are via a platform or a stage or behind a mic or reading a book of yours. What are some of those temptations um, that you have to perform or to attempt to be somebody you're not? Or maybe you don't have those, but I know a lot of leaders we have on here, there are temptations as a leader when there's a platform involved.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's every leader, um, you know, that you start to become afraid that if people really knew you, you know, they'd be disappointed or you, you know, you start to believe the hype about yourself, you know, and uh, one of the things that I've done, a practice that I've done over the last um, few years, that's, I, I, that's free actually for anybody that would like to, uh, to access this is a thing called infinitum. Mm. It's Latin for boundless and it's a way of life. It's, it's what I would call an open order. And it just offers some postures and some rhythms and some practices that keep you Jesus centered. Which, you know, anytime those temptations enter, they're always just about you at the center. In the end, it's just a right sizing, a shifting, a posture. It's not even, you know, sometimes it requires counseling and there's something terribly, deeply wrong and you've got to get there. Or there's some, you know, hypocrisy or deep uh, embedded sin that needs to be dealt with in your life. But most of the time for me, it's just a shift. It's just a little shift. It's just to say, oh yeah, this isn't about me oh yeah, this is all gift. I've earned nothing. And so how can I be generous with what I've been freely given? Oh yeah, this is about serving the purposes of God for the needs of the world. And if I can just, so that's like the daily prayer I pray every day. Once a week you meet with another person to ask if you're living lives that are surrendered, generous, and missional. And then once a month I try to challenge myself to do something fresh, just mm-hmm. to keep those postures fresh in my mind. And that little system we d- I designed it with a bunch of other leaders who'd been doing like grassroots missional work for 20 plus years. And we all just were like, are we really living this? Mm-hmm. Like, is this just a thing I'm doing or is it a thing I'm loving? Is Jesus just a person I'm believing in? Like this, like many other things or is it someone I'm following daily? And that little practice, and it's really not rocket science. I wish I could say I fast and pray and, you know, several days a week like John Wesley did or something like that, but it's really just an adjustment. I do a daily prayer. I do a daily examine at the end of the night where I pay attention to how Jesus has been leading me. I meet with a friend and we talk face to face about what's on my mind what the things Jesus has been telling me to do and I haven't done yet and why I haven't done them. And we pray for one another. And then once a month I try to do something fun to mix it up, something different, Mm. give Mm. to someone that has nothing to do with me, do Mm. things anonymously. So they're not about uh, Mm. credit. Mm. Uh, Meet my neighbors, (laughs) you know, just, I mean, not, you know, crazy out of the ballpark things, just regular things, just Mm. intentional simple ordinary practices that keep Jesus at the center and me as a partner. Mm.
1: Would you be willing to share the last fun thing you did?
2: The last fun thing I did um was host a Nigerian wedding reception in my house on Sunday. <laughs> That's awesome. It was off the charts, but <laughs> I'm telling you right now, but it was crazy. <laughs> crazy hard, but it was really amazing. (laughs) What
0: do you do when you're most fully alive or or when are you most fully alive?
2: Uh, you know, this is a fascinating thing. I think the, when I'm aware of the sacred beauty of others, I'm most fully alive. (sighs)
3: Mm.
2: And I think there's something about like, and I would say even in myself. So when I'm aware of God's sacred design that's working in people even if they don't know it and even mm. in me even when i'm like surprised by it in my children like it's like um i'm seeing like a i get a glimpse of god working behind the scenes and it makes me it makes me alive i feel mm. alive like i'm a part of this uh, mystery that's being mm. revealed and it's kind of like i feel like a, i'm on the inside of a discovery it's beautiful
1: mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think similarly, when do you feel most fully loved?
2: Yeah, so my children, you know, have been game changers in this regard um, of being fully loved. And, you know, you're only as fully loved as you are fully known. And so this is another, you know, so it's really funny. I was on a, I think it was, I was on a podcast and they were saying like, it just seems like you're not afraid of anything. Mm. And I was like, you know, what's really fascinating is I'm not afraid of external adventure. I'm designed for that. Like, so if it's going to be hard and scary, I'm like excited. I love adrenaline. So even big platforms and people are, you get nervous. I'm like, are you kidding? I can't wait. Like, this is, I live for this. But if you want me to talk about my feelings or like get in touch with like my childhood trauma, you know, or like actually... Uh, the fears that are on the inside of me that maybe I haven't spoken about or haven't mm. shared about, that's terrifying to me. Mm. So like vulnerability, but not like perceived vulnerability. Like I'm going to let you see the part of me that you're going to like, <laughs> that's vulnerable. And everyone will be like, Oh, she's so vulnerable, but like legit vulnerability, like even just with another human being. Mm. So I've done a lot of work around this, like uh, a decade ago, just the internal Non dealing with things that are on the inside of me, catching up with me, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. trying to trip me up and sort of entangle me mm-hmm. with uh, past childhood sexual abuse and things mm-hmm. that I had never spoken of, never even uh, identified that were in my life, um, mm-hmm. buried kind of memories starting to resurface. And then just even going to see a counselor, like I just was absolutely terrified. I mean, my first counseling session, the counselor just had to like do a breathing exercise with me to calm calm Mm -hmm. me down. And I, and even like in my mind, I was like, I'm not terrified. This makes total sense. I'm not against counseling. I've recommended it my whole life. I work with people who, you know, come from trauma, but for me to access help, was just so difficult for the first Mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, then got better and better. Of course, as you confront your fear with the presence of God's love, then that's how we overcome fear. Mm -hmm. So I would say that also, that's a way that I discovered love and being loved is as I'm willing to like, Put, take the risk to say "Ugh, this i don't know if this will consume me or kill me you know mm. but here i'm gonna risk it and then to have god go oh perfect i can love you more mm. that's mm. uh what i mean what is that that is
3: beauty defined mm. i suppose yeah mm. Mm.
1: Listeners, we're grateful to be part of a collective of podcasts through Missio Alliance. We'd like to take a moment to highlight one of our partners.
3: This is Steve Cuss, and I host the Managing Leadership Anxiety podcast right here on the Missio Alliance channel. Every faith leader I know carries a lot of pressure and chronic anxiety, and I think we're finding it harder and harder to experience deep, soul-renewing rest nowadays. The focus of my work is to help you notice, name, and move through sources of anxiety that are common to all faith leaders. I'm a pastor who used to be a trauma chaplain, and I was trained in family systems theory. So my show focuses not only on your anxiety, but also how anxiety operates in a group or a system. On most episodes, I feature a guest and we chat about their vocation and their leadership pressures they face. Previous guests include Brenda Salter-McNeil, Max Lakato, Makoto Fujimura, Nancy Ortberg, Kay Warren, Chuck Groot. Once in a while, I'll use an episode to share from the Family Systems Theory Toolbox to help you manage the pressures you face. The podcast is simply designed to equip you to name and notice triggers and pressures in you and in those you lead. You can find episodes right on the Missio Alliance website or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: you've been a part of your Salvation Army officer for more than two decades, your church planner, uh, house church, kind of low church stuff. Now you're in mega church world. Uh, You've lived, what, Australia, Bermuda, Canada. I mean, just a lot of amazing places, Western U.S. responsibilities. You've seen the global church uh, in addition to traveling and speaking elsewhere. What is it that encourages you about the global church? In your experience over the years? And what is it that concerns you?
2: I believe wholeheartedly that we're in an unprecedented time of potential kingdom expansion. Mm. Um, and I know it, it sounds ridiculous. Like it sounds like I'm just being like, I don't know, like a sales pro- I don't know what I'm selling, but I, you know, like I've got the perfect formula for you to do it. But I, you know, 70 million people are displaced right now at the height of the world. This is the, the most in the history of the world. Uh, more Muslims have been saved in the last 15 years than in 1500 before that. Um, we, you know, think about it 45 million children are right now stuck in nowhere. You know, they, they're countryless, and for, they're going to be there for 20 years. It's a generation, we have a whole generation that could be uh, introduced to the possibility of a new way of life. I think generations that are so tired of conflict and war and violence and even religious extremism. So I actually believe the most hopeful I am is when I go to places that are switched on to what God is doing in the world. And like, even where it's like overwhelming, like I don't know what this means and how I can be part of it, but I know God's doing something profound right now in the world and I wanna be part. I mean, it literally changing the shape of the world. And I want to be part of that, like, um, and however we do that. So I go to Lebanon, and there's Heart for Lebanon's working with Syrian refugees, and I'm sitting in a Syrian refugee camp, and a little girl just went to a school that they created because the Syrian children can't go to school. So you're going to have a whole generation of Syrian kids with no education and no future. So a bunch of Christians said, how can we serve Syrian Muslim refugees? That's the gospel right there. How can we serve? Syrian Muslim refugees who have no hope and no future. And they open schools for the kids. And this little nine-year-old girl goes to school, totally traumatized. The family's like, she's, she, they're just gonna send her back. She can't behave. But instead of that, they love her back to health and they introduce her to Jesus. And she comes back to her family and she's completely like transformed. Mm. And I was sitting in this tent and the woman of the, the house said, we've called you here to say like, what have you done to our daughter? but we asked our daughter and she told her it was, she told us it was Jesus. And then they said, so now we actually called you here to ask you, could you do that for us too? And could we know Jesus? And, you know, I watched these 25 Muslim Syrian refugees come to know Jesus because Christians uh, served, you know, unconditionally loving and we're part of like what it is that God's doing in this. So I, I don't know what this is. Like in my kitchen, just a month ago, I'm with a Sudanese refugee. So every Sunday we have a bunch of folks over from our local food bank slash church community. And we just have this party. That's how it turned into a Nigerian wedding reception. But anyway, I digress. And we're in the kitchen doing dishes with this friend of mine, who's a Sudanese refugee in Canada. And she says to me, how do I belong? We're just doing dishes. And I'm like, like you belong. What do you mean? Like, how do you belong? You're here. You're in my house. We're eating. Like how, what do you mean? How do I belong? And she's like, how do I belong for forever to this family of God? Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know she was Muslim. She's Muslim background. And she just wanted to follow Jesus. She's like, what is this? Hmm. And I just feel like if I could help, if I can help, I'm most switched on by Christians that I witnessed doing this. Just hmm. inclusive, hospitable, good news, like serving and loving unconditionally and the power that it holds for the world right now. I just hmm. don't think we're getting it. Yeah. Where I'm most oh. discouraged... Uh, is when people are making it about us and them, uh, when people are defensive and afraid, when people are letting fear dictate what they do or don't do, and just increasing cycles of oppression, even in their own lives. I just get so disturbed because I think you're missing it and you're invited. Like, I don't want you to miss this beautiful season and time that we're living in. Mm -hmm.
0: So when you feel that discouragement, how do you ensure that that doesn't, Turn into cynicism or doubt, or, or maybe it does turn into doubt. But what do you do when you're in that funk? When you're discouraged? When you're going, this is awful. This is, you've seen the pain. You know God's good. You know all the theological answers. But sometimes it, when it feels overwhelming, what do what do you do, Danielle? In those moments,
2: I try to change the question. Hmm. So cynicism hmm. feeds on, you know, despair. Uh, So I, and that's what it is. I mean, cynicism is really just despair expressed, right? Where it's impossible to change. And when we feel like it's impossible to change something, it's, uh, it comes out as cynicism. So I pay attention to cynicism in my life because wherever it is, it's evidence that there's an oppression uh, that's trying to snuff out possibility and hope and faith. So I acknowledge it but I also changed the question from like, is it possible? And will these people ever change? And is this ever going to be like, to how can I serve? I literally, I just changed the question. How do I serve? How can I help? What can I do? And even if all I can do is set an example, that might be contagious even if that's all I can do is welcome some refugees in my house and show them that even with a crazy busy global schedule everybody has time to put the crockpot on and I'm a terrible cook I'm so bad I'm like domestically that's like probably my worst gifting but I and <laughs> I know hospitality is enough you know and so whatever meager offering I can do to say this is how this is how you just like, you get back at 8.30 at night on the Saturday, you put the crock pot on at 7.30 in the morning. So after church, you say, hey, friends, please come mm. home. Mm. And people get saved in the kitchen and mm. get included and become part of a family and the good news spreads. And mm. you know, this mm. is literally what it is to be the church. Mm. And uh, so whenever cynicism begins to threaten, mm. I acknowledge its source. Cynicism's source is depression. It's mm. fear. Yeah. It's death. And I change the change the narrative.
1: So thinking about um you know the the Danielle years ago who had a song had lyrics tattooed onto her arm. How like what song like has that song changed at all or if it was to be done today like what what are the additional lyrics that have been put on your arm or in in your heart or in your life?
2: Yeah. You know, what's beautiful is that the song is so epic. It's seven verses long. I didn't get the, I just got the first few bars. Right. And, um, but what I've done is the tattoos grown. So like I'm showing you guys, people, listeners can not hear this, but what happened is it just started as like a little lyric, like just a little song. No, like music notes. Sorry, not lyric music notes. And then the song's about this ocean. So then the ocean came in. I was actually Uh. just going to get a few drops because I was being reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) And I was at the tattoo uh, place and the guy said, what are are the drops for? And I said, well, the song's about this ocean of love that's coming to redeem the whole world. And he goes, it's an ocean of love that's going to redeem the world. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, it's going to need to be bigger. (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like indeed and uh so anyway then the ocean became bigger and it goes up my arm a fair bit it turns into a sleeve and then what happens is all of you'll see these flowers there's flowers and then there's like this is a peace thing that i got in israel these flowers were done and some others one in vancouver and they all represent various redemptive things Uh in my life so it just keeps on i mean god is the redeemer of everything right
0: yeah, well, we can see this on you know here, but our our viewers, yeah, Danielle's working up from her from her uh, from her let's see right right left wrist and then moving up her forearm with the ocean up to her elbow now up to her her shoulder here. Yeah, hey, what it, is just that? Got,
2: it just got past my shoulder uh, last month because we did a fundraiser for this campaign I run called Brave Global, uh, and Brave Global tries to mobilize churches to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. And so uh, I said that if we got to a certain amount. <laughs> But again, what a great addition because it's part of the sure. redemptive plan that God has yeah. to redeem everything. Let's do oh, this Oh, I love it.
0: I love it. It's so beautiful to So the oldest tattoo
2: shop in Israel, uh, Rafa Gate, right by, the, right by the Jaffa Gate, there's a guy who's been tattooists yeah. in his family for 500 years. That's from yes. the, the Peace, peace Branch.
0: <laughs> Actually, we yeah. had a friend yesterday, yesterday named Michael Beck who yep. got a tattoo there at that tattoo shop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just One, yesterday. A big, big
2: butterfly here done in, um, in Lebanon. And uh, oh, wow. again, on all things made new, renewal, and uh, the butterfly was a gift from a 14-year-old foster care girl at one of these events that I was doing. And she put, she wrote it uh, underneath, she wrote, stay strong, which I thought mm. was a weird thing to mm. put on a butterfly. It's never what I <laughs> thought mm. butterflies could be. But actually, when you think of the power of renewal, it is maybe the biggest strength there is. So mm. Mm. anyway, it goes you- on and on.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. So, what's what's going to be then on your right arm here? Yeah, uh, what's yeah, what's I'm the, keeping the my next right several arm years?
2: Fresh <laughs> for now. There's still but there's many more things to come. I'm pretty sure I can't resist.
0: That's great. Well, you've obviously done a lot and joining with God and just hanging on the coattails of the Holy Spirit and saying, "Let's do this." What are some of the projects or the the passions that are stirring in you that you anticipate in the next three to five to 10 years that you'll be, maybe it's more of the same, but are there new things that are stirring in you, new projects, whether it's another book you're working on or a new initiative or what what's brewing in you right now?
2: Yeah, I think I'm just at the beginning of a lot of things. So I'm kind of really excited about this Brave Global thing. Mm. mobilizing churches to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. I think we're just at the very beginning of seeing a whole generation be the solution to the problem. Mm. So I used to think that trafficked girls, you know, were the problem, not the solution, but God Mm. helped me see that they're the solution. Mm. So getting to them and empowering them is like going to be a lifelong uh, joy of mine. So I'm super Uh. excited about that. And uh, Amplify Peace is a thing that I've Mm -hmm. launched and it's uh, around peacemaking. And ideally, what we'd love to do, I've just seen so much transformation happen. And like I said, I think reconciliation is the heart of the gospel for this time in which we're living. So uh, the dream for that is to take teams, pastors, leaders, uh, leaders and their teams on these global immersions to hear uh, from people who are doing such remarkable peacemaking work and how that might transform the way we present the gospel in our local communities. I think that also is just, oh, these things are just love of my life's infinitum is something i'll never probably stop because it means boundless so i feel like it's never going to stop and it's a beautiful practice Mm -hmm. um and uh you know i started this thing called the women's speaker collective i really hope that stops i hope uh, it just (laughs) becomes completely normal and unnecessary Uh, to have a specific designated thing for women it's not in my i'm a let's do it together person but there's such an imbalance when it comes to training mm-hmm. and facilitation and coaching for female communicators mm-hmm. that we're gonna try to correct that imbalance. And then once we got that sorted, we'll move on to some other things.
0: Yeah, that's great. So work yourself out of a job in I a sense, so. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Um,
1: yeah, just as, as we come to a close, I would just love to, just to create some space for you, just um, what encouragement would you have for pastors and kingdom leaders? Um, just today, as most of us are listening to this on a Monday morning, some of us are really discouraged. Um, some of us are feeling really energized, but what encouragement would you have to pastors and leaders uh, on, on a hard day of the week?
2: Yeah, I would, you know, first of all, I would say every single thing you do matters. Mm. Every single thing. So whether you feel like it matters, whether people say that it matters, it matters, it matters, it matters a lot. Every single thing that you do, I would say that you're loved, uh, not for what you do, but for who you are Mm -hmm. and that sometimes it's okay just to be loved that not only is it okay, it's essential for you to rediscover that. Uh, I do this every day with a breathing prayer called be loved, uh, where I just love myself and allow myself to be loved. Um, and I would also say that God is wanting to use humans. Uh, if he wanted to use perfect machinery, that's what he would do, but he wants to use humans. So be human, uh, be human. Um, and that your humanness is actually the best way that God can use you. So what, however you need to rediscover your own humanness, uh, please do. We need you mm-hmm. to be who you are, not mm-hmm. who someone else is or not who you think you should be or not who someone else wants you to mm-hmm. be. We need you to be who you are. Those mm-hmm. are a few things, but I could go on and on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's been such a joy, Danielle, to have you here. You've, you have fans here in Philadelphia. We're cheering you on. I've been impacted by a lot of your talks. Uh, online and, you know, Global Leadership Summit. And uh, even my mother, you led a tour uh, to Israel. Uh, and so we're really grateful. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for the opportunity that we've had one-on-one, two-on-one to be able to to connect with you. And I hope many of our listeners who may not know about you uh, would lean in even further. I know you've got a podcast and and uh, website, Instagram, you're on social media, so we'll put all that in the show notes. But it has been such a joy to hear your heart, and thanks for even being vulnerable, even if it was a little bit scary for you. I really appreciate uh, your willingness to uh, to answer some of our questions. Yeah. So,
2: Hey, thanks. Yeah. I think this interview is like enough evidence that we're better together, huh?
0: Mm, mm. Amen. 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 Well put. Well, thanks so, thanks so, so much. much. Thank, Thank you, Daniel.
1: Right, Jar. I feel like we just spent time with, um, with like a radical saint. <laughs> I
0: am so grateful for Danielle. Seriously, I, as I said there at the end, I have been following her from afar, uh, from a distance, and I'm so glad we had an opportunity to connect with her. Uh, so, so much energy. I mean, you see the things that she started. I, I, I. When I think of her, I think of joy. I think of courage, mm. and I think of like holy mischief. Like yes. she's just, we talk about like creating good kingdom mischief. She's a good kingdom mischief creator. Those are some great words. Yeah. that Totally describe her. Yes. <laughs> I'm so grateful for her. What was it that, I mean, there's so much she shared. We could unpack <laughs> yeah. for like an hour and oh a half. Oh my gosh. But is there, are there one or two things that stuck out to you? In the conversation. I feel like she gave me permission to get more tattoos, which is great. I know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I the way she just went up her arm, I just wish listeners could have seen that. Really and she's like, and then this one, and then this one, she's working <laughs> up from her wrist to her elbow, then yeah. up to her, her shoulder. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so awesome. So good. Like Salvation Army officer uh, yes. with a sleeve of tattoos. Yes. Like you don't hear about that every no, day. No, no. <laughs> Just breaking, breaking molds, breaking
1: molds. <laughs> um, I, You know, one of the things that really struck me was she said, when you're discouraged, change the question.
0: Yeah, that was great. Oh my
1: goodness. I, I, think, I think so many times I try to define, I'll spend way too much time trying to define what the problem is instead of changing the question. Like what is, you know, and I love that. That's simple. Like That's how, how do I serve? How yeah. do I serve? How do I model? How do I, that for me, that was, that was just really good. And I feel like gospel, she just popped gospel stuff all over the place. Um, you know, the ministry of reconciliation and, and realizing that that's this, a world is
0: screaming for that right now. That was another thing. How about you? I, I think it were the stories, right? Mm. I mean, what she had to say was brilliant, but um, there are a lot of brilliant people I know that don't live the brilliance. And I feel like her brilliance comes from the fact that she has lived it. So like the Willow Creek story, like, how can I help? Like how the book happened by just prompting from the spirit to do that while they're praying. And Danielle Strickland was on their minds and contacted her. I mean, that's amazing. The way that talked about the closet story of the girl that was abused and sexually assaulted and how God showed up to that girl, but also to Danielle. And she learned from, from there. Um, Just, The stories, my goodness. I'm throwing a party in her backyard for a a reception for what, Nigerian? Yeah, a Nigerian (laughs)
1: wedding reception. It's like that. That's the most random thing I've ever heard someone say. She
0: is like totally like the female Bob Goff. Yeah. yeah. So the stories really impacted me. But she talked a lot about reconciliation and redemption. And uh, I just thought often when she said that about 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul talks about you know the ministry of reconciliation. I plead with you, be reconciled to God, and He just uses the word reconcile or reconciliation over and over again in Second Corinthians five, there in the middle of that of that chapter. And I just love that chapter. And we could have talked to her all day. I mean, she just oozes hope. Uh huh. She oozes hope. Agreed. That's what I, I love about her. So, um, but she also there are several resources that she mentioned and that we want to offer as well. What are some of those resources yeah, that I we think, want to give? I think we need to start uh, for those that can't cook. Use a crock pot. That
1: yes. Was, <laughs> that was I, so good.
0: I, I, you know, what's funny in addition <laughs> to the stories, that story stuck out. Me too. Saying, uh, her spiritual ungift is cooking. Yeah. And yet she still can turn the crock pot on yeah. and invite <laughs> these people over and people come to faith in her kitchen. So good. Yes. So great. Yeah. I love it. So love I'm it.
1: sure there's some, we'll, we'll, we'll find the cheapest crock pot on Amazon and we'll throw the link up for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but,
0: or the local thrift store. Yeah. I'm sure it has oh, tons yeah. of crock pots. Absolutely. So, yeah,
1: but um uh, her I, I think gosh, there's so many resources. Um braveglobal.org, uh um infinitumlife.com, uh her her new book better together, com. I think all those are fantastic yeah. resources. And we'll put
0: all those in the show notes as well. We really want you to lean in with Danielle. I mean, just what an amazing sister in Christ that that we can cheer on and be inspired by. Um, but all of those things that she listed, we'll have those in the show notes, mm-hmm. as well as uh, ways that we can get a hold of her on social media mm-hmm. uh, as well. Um, yeah. A couple of questions that come to mind, like where might you need to run to the pain? We talked about her at the beginning being an Enneagram seven, most sevens, the tendency is to escape and get away from what's hard and run to the fun. And yet she's the opposite. And so she kept uh, talking about that idea of like, Going back to the pain, going back to the pain. So the question that Doug and I want to pose to our listeners here today is: Where might you need to run to the pain, either your own or to other people's? Not to wallow in that pain, but to bring the hope. That's very gospelly, very gospel-oriented. That's good, uh, as she said. And and also, you know, I, I think of that Willow Creek story, um, where she just said, "How can I help?" and We talk about self-care a lot, but also making sure that we're being generous with our lives. And so our challenge to you today is who might be the person or the group uh, or the stranger, somebody you've never met, that you can just reach out and say, how can I help or how can I serve you today Uh, or this week? So look for that. Doug, any other questions you have? Yeah,
1: I think uh, I really appreciated when she said um, she feels most most fully alive uh, when she recognizes the uh, when she's aware of the sacredness uh, the sacred beauty of others. and so I think the question that flows out of that is uh, where where have I been aware of the sacred beauty of others mm. this week?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. that's great. well pastors, leaders, listeners, we're really encouraged that you've joined with us here and uh, especially on this episode with Danielle. Um, as you go today, may you know that despite all the pain, whether the pain that's in your own life or the pain that you see around you in your community and your zip code or the pain you see around the world. May we not be afraid of it. May we remember that Jesus is bigger than this pain and we can enter into that pain and we can offer hope. And So would you go oozing hope? Would you go oozing with peace knowing that it is Jesus who's at the center of all of this that can reconcile and make things right? go and live into that reconciling reality that God so modeled for us entrusted trusted to us and now asks us and charges us with the ability to go be people of reconciliation. Go live into that today. God bless and bless God.